Greetings and salutations. Hi. I'm Josh Belcher. Get the super sauce. I'll change into my super suit. <laughs> this is Uncharted. Greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Father's Day to you if you're a father. Uh, may your special day be awesome. Hopefully you can kick back and relax and have a wonderful Sunday from one father to another. Congratulations. This is Josh Belcher, host of the Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. Um, I celebrated my Father's Day yesterday by going to my favorite place in the world that would be Muscle Shoals Alabama did the tours of uh, two of the greatest studios the world has ever known went to Fame Recording Studios and Muscle Shoals Sound and got to take all of that in have, uh, have a really good time listening to some really great stories look at some really awesome instruments and uh, just had a great time I uh, took my oldest daughter with me and uh, just learned about music and breathing music and uh, just uh, really enjoyed looking at places where some of the greatest hits of the 60s, 70s, 80s on to now were recorded. So if you ever get an opportunity, uh, go check those out because uh, I always leave uh, with a sense of uh, enlightenment and uh, just feel a uh, an awesome, palpable energy uh, when it comes to music at both places. So in honor of uh, that place uh, this week, I um, have uh, guests, every one of them connected to Muscle Shoals when it comes to music. I have um, the great Spencer Coates, who is the head engineer at Fame Studios, Fame Recording Studios, and uh, I credit him for inspiring me to start a podcast. Um, he gave me the first tour I ever did at Fame uh, and told me stories that I didn't know about until he shared with me uh, stuff that was not in the documentary, uh, Muscle Shoals, that you can check out uh, for free on YouTube. Um, and he uh, was just very, very awesome and uh, decided to go home after that. And my very first episode, if you ever go down, uh, is the only one where I don't really have any guests. I just talk about my experiences uh, going to Muscle Shoals. So thanks to uh, Spencer. Uh, and he wanted to uh, let everybody know uh, that uh, he wanted to give a special thanks to Rodney Hall for making uh, all of his dreams come true there at uh, Fame Studio. And um, that you can see the documentary that made the place. Well, the place was already world famous, but it kind of gave it an extra boost and extra awareness around the world. So you can check out Muscle Shoals, the documentary, for free on YouTube if you so desire. Uh, with that being said, we also have the legendary, and when I'm telling you legendary, I mean Spooner Oldham, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, piano player Spooner Oldham was kind enough to be on the podcast to talk about some of the legendary work he had done. He was one of the uh, members of the Fame uh, house band, um, and he has recorded everywhere. He is responsible for playing the first piano lick that really made Aretha Franklin uh, Aretha Franklin because uh, they were in studio having what they called a head session and they had a song that was titled uh, I Never Loved a Man. Um, Jerry Wexler brought her uh, 
to Muscle Shoals, a big time producer, one of the most famous in the history of music uh, out of uh, Los Angeles for Atlantic Records. Um, had, had her after she had spent four years uh, with another label kind of doing what Spooner described cocktail music, just not really, you know, uh, having an impact. And um, yeah, he's sitting through the studio, he played a, played a lick on, uh, on a keyboard, uh, a Hammond, I believe is what it was, and um, uh, the rest is history. Uh, he played on that, uh, he co-wrote some phenomenal songs, one being I'm Your Puppet, which is a classic smash hit. Uh, he's played on numerous, I'm talking thousands, of hit recordings uh, in Muscle Shoals. He's toured with uh, Neil Young, and uh, he was kind enough to discuss that more with me uh, on the podcast. Really grateful to spend some time with him. Uh, just a legend in the making and just loved uh, hearing some of his stories. Uh, he just recently had a birthday, so I uh, wished him a happy birthday and, and many, many more. I hope when uh, the world kind of simmers back down that uh, I have the opportunity to meet him and uh, get you know hang out with him in person and just uh, listen about stories of, of music history because the man is a true legend and uh, that was awesome speaking with him he's on the podcast also have a guy he's from new york really really awesome r&b soul and blues man uh, guitar virtuoso his name is mick hayes and he recently did a uh album uh, if you will in muscle shoals uh, called my claim to fame i love that he titled that just a very very creative very awesome guy a great singer a great performer uh, went down to muscle shoals and recorded an album uh, vinyl i have a copy of it I highly recommend that you listen to it as well uh, great guy great interview it just uh, goes to show that no matter where you're at in this world north south east west uh space for all that matters um people know about the muscle shoals sound and they flock to it to be a part of it and he recorded in studio and his record is dynamite okay uh, with that being said i'll uh, i'll finish here uh yakking it up because uh, like i said i love the place i um, hope to move there really really soon within within the next year um, get a home there and that's where I want to spend the rest of my life just near that music and all the magic that happens in Muscle Shoals but uh, thank you so much and uh, this Father's Day edition happy Father's Day and let's get on with the Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast and away we go First up on the podcast is my man, a guy I'm proud to call my newly found friend. He is a great human being. He is the uh, reason I was inspired to start the Josh Belcher Uncharted podcast with a great tour of the Fame Recording Studios and Publishing Company. It just got me uh, skyrocketed in the right direction to uh, spend um, my free time uh, chasing interviews with... uh, Phenomenal musicians, uh, stand-up comedians, and entertainers all across the world. Uh, But I really have a fond love and affection for the music that came out of Muscle Shoals. Uh, Spencer Coates is uh, the main guy there at Fame uh, as far as uh, engineer work and everything. We discussed that and more. Uh, Got a brand new title. Congratulations to him. 
Uh, and he wanted me to personally let you know that you can watch the documentary about Muscle Shoals for free on YouTube. You just type in Muscle Shoals documentary and they have an option to where you can watch it for free. He wanted me to give a special shout out to Rodney Hall, uh, the president, the proprietor at Fame Studios for giving him a shot and his opportunity there. So thank you to Rodney. Uh, I myself have not got to meet Rodney yet. Uh, that's a lot of Rodney's. I just said but uh, hopefully one day get to meet him as well. So without further ado, here's my interview with my new friend, uh, rock star uh, and resident there in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, uh, fame, recording studios and published company, uh, publishing company, Spencer Coates. Here we go. Josh Belcher, Uncharted Podcast. Hey, Spencer, uh, first of all, thanks for talking on Uncharted Podcast. Um, the, re- the reason I was motivated to start a podcast is really all because of the tour you gave uh, myself and my mother at Fame Studios uh, a year and a week ago uh, this week. And uh, congratulations. Let's talk about uh, your new promotion and, and everything going on with the greatest place on earth, in my opinion, which is Fame Recording Studios and Publishing Company. Oh, man. Well, first of all, it is so inspiring that you know, I was able, my little old tour of fame just was able to inspire you like that, dude. That means a lot to me. It's kind of one of those things, man. You're right. It's one of the greatest places on the planet. I mean, man, the studio there is not only so beautiful and sounds so good, it's it's inspirational in itself. I mean, not only the walls and, you know, and everybody that goes through there, it's incredible just I mean, dude, I got to learn from Rick Hall himself, Jimmy Johnson, <laughs> David Hood, freaking Roger Hawkins, Alan Schulman. I mean, I could keep on going the guys that have taught me how to make records, and it really is like, dude, it's the reason why I'm I'm any good at all at this, man. It's a beautiful thing. Like you said, I, I actually did just get promoted within like the last two weeks. I get promoted to be the studio manager and head engineer yeah, of Fame man. Recording Studios, and that is just – yeah. That's a powerful thing for a young man. I'll be honest, yeah, brother. Yeah, it really I, is. I got you. That's like being uh that's like being uh, Colonel Sanders and Walt Disney all in one. I, I don't know how to describe that. That's like but when you told me that I was like, Man, congrats. You just got the, literally the keys to the kingdom. You are the man and deservingly so because uh, if you put as much energy into the uh recording as you did given that tour, um you your aces and, and, and congratulations it's well deserved. Oh man, I'm just very thankful for the owners there. Linda Hall, Rick's widow, and Rodney Hall, Rick's son, man, they have really, you know, they're entrusting me with a lot because, you know, it's not, like we said, it's not a small thing to do. It's something that I I feel way more than comfortable at doing because all the people that have taught me how to do it, but, you know, especially since the passing of Rick, it's been crazy, dude. We've been, the studio's been booked. We've been working a lot and had a lot of great records come through there. I mean... Dude, in the last in the six years that I've been there, I've gotten to work with Steven Tyler and Alan Jackson, Vince Gill, Allison Krauss, Michael McDonald, Tom Johnson, Delbert McClinton, the Blind Boys of Alabama, Greg <laughs> Allman, Demi Lovato. I mean, I keep going, but I'm scared I'd start missing people and they'd start calling me and be like, Spencer, what are you doing? You missed out on me, bro. But dude, Peter Levine, man, it's just really, it's ridiculous. Yeah, um, it is amazing, and uh, I just listened to the guy that you had in there, I guess, not too long ago. His name is Mick. Oh, dude, exactly. I've missed this. Mick Hayes, dude, his record turned out great. Oh, man, hey, uh, blew my mind. I listened to a little bit of it. Uh, looking forward to hopefully talking to him and picking his brain. What a, what a talent he is. 
dude, very talented man, and he did it right, man. He got the muscle show sound. He got all like you know the local players to play on his record, and man, that's really where it counts. You know, a lot of these cats, you know, some of them they come down and they bring their own musicians, and they still get the feel of it. You know, somebody once told me that. When you get in the room and when you play Muscle Shoals, it just simply makes you play different. But, man, there's nothing like actually having the musicians that lived here, breathe here, and get in that water every single day. And, you know, it's it's funny. In the documentary, they talk about, you know, the Tennessee having that magic. And all the old guys will be like, man, it's not in the water. It's because we work so hard. And it is because they work so hard. But... There is just something special about this area when it comes to music. It's really – it's hard to put a, a finger on it, man. I mean, you even have people like Sam Phillips from this area, W.C. Handy, the father of rock and roll and the yeah. father uh, father of blues. I mean, dude, that yeah, by itself is crazy, much less all the other history that Rick and all the other Swampers and guys started. Yeah, and then, you know, also from watching that doc, which I bet I've watched it a hundred times. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Helen Keller's first word was water. Yeah, dude. I mean, exactly. How powerful. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> it, yeah, everything about it's amazing. And uh, I will tell you this, a funny story. Uh, well, for me, I, I'm a bigger dude, about six foot tall, uh, easy 300 pounds. When we were in the studio and you played some of those tracks and then you played um, Wild Horses, which Alan Jackson did, oh. and you were telling us you were a part of it, I wept. Uh, I bought the CD, and I listened to it on the way to Tom Hendricks' wall. And Dude, what a special cried, place that is. Cried like a toddler. I mean, oh. I couldn't imagine yeah. sitting there. I mean, that just experience had to be something. But just, you know, playing it and, and you sharing that with us and then – just the way he captured it, man. You talk about li- literally lightning in a bottle. That must have been just unbelievable to be a part of. So I'll be honest. You know, I have been a part of many, many records at this point, you know, whether assisting or engineering or just being the intern in the corner or just keeping quiet while everybody else is working and just trying to watch these masters work. But that one in particular, you know, um, that was a special record for me. You know, I, I was the assistant on that one, and I actually got to run the computer on that. And, you know, it was one of those moments where really I thought I'd heard the record before, and I was looking at the computer screen. I'm like, no, I, I've heard this before. We've done this before. Like, And I was watching it go down knowing that I heard it. And it is – I mean, I'm sitting here for real getting chills thinking back yeah. to this moment. It was that significant where – that that record, like so many other records that had been done there before that, you know, I was, you know, not a part of just being, you know, my age. I That one has been here for a very, very long time. I mean, not only was it just such a, you know, classic song in itself, you know, written by the Rolling Stones with, you know, Keith, what is it? Keith Richards on the toilet in Muscle Shoals Sound finishing <laughs> out the song. Exactly, like, what is yeah. that, dude? You know, but having... You know, when the first time I heard that Alan Jackson was going to sing it, I, first of all, I was like, yes, that is the person that has to sing it on this record because that was a part of the Small Town Big Sound record that uh, Rodney Hall, Rick's son, he executive produced him and Keith Stegall. And Keith Stegall had done, you know, all Alan Jackson's records anyway. And so when they made that connection, and that was part of the whole that uh, that compilation that they had made, man, it was. It was perfect. That record right there is very, very, very special, and just it's perfect. It it has been here for a lot longer than the time that they had recorded it, for sure. 
Yeah, it, it was, and, and like I said, when, when you hear like like I bought the CD because I, I my Jeep has a CD player still in it. Believe it or not. What? Well, time out, time out. Your Jeep has a CD. Dude, you yeah. are few and far between, man. That's retro, bro. <laughs> I know. I know. So I pop it in there, and I'm just, you know, I'm just reminiscing. Like I said, I'm driving through to, to get to Tom Hendricks, and I'm just thinking about what all I got to witness and all the magic that's ran through there. And you can feel it in the air. I mean, you feel like it'll hit your veins almost. And um, For real. Yeah, it, it just, I wept. I couldn't help it, man. It just, it was like, it was one of those uncontrollable. I was like, this is, it's like perfect. It's like from it's the magic. beginning. The beginning to the very end, like it easily became one of my top five favorite songs of all time. I can still hear it to this day, having that CD for over, you know, like a year now, and just love it just as much. Yeah, man, it, it is truly magic. I mean, dude, Tom Hendricks' wall, though, that in itself is magic. Were you able to make it over there while Tom was still alive, or was his brother giving the tour over there? No, there there actually wasn't a tour. I'm assuming Tom had just passed. Like I said, it, it was, it was okay. a year ago. A year and a week ago today that I came to see you <laughs> give us that okay. tour. Okay. Uh, because I so, laid I – la- oh, go ahead. No, I'm listening, bro. Well, I laid my podcast the next day, and, and it was before I even interviewed anybody. I just discussed um, going, you know, seeing fame and just and just checking all that out and, and going to Tom Hendricks. So nobody was there. I just went through there, and uh, I actually happened to have a, uh, a cross that I had around my uh, – my rear view mirror, I took it off and left it there. Just to, That's just a very magical place as well. And the story behind that, I mean, his great-great-so-on grandmother walked back from Oklahoma. It took her like five years to walk. She missed, you know, the area so bad. I mean, yeah, dude, it's it's incredible because, you know, the native people, the Iuchi people, they called the River Nunase. And, you know, if you've seen the doc, if you haven't seen the documentary, everybody that's listening should watch the documentary. It's called Muscle Shoals. It is inspirational. It is beautiful. It is sonically gorgeous. I mean, we, I cannot talk about it. We cannot talk enough about how amazing this music documentary is. But they kind of go into the story, and, you know, the native people, what's awesome about this area is this part of the Tennessee before the dams are here, you can actually physically walk across during certain seasons. And, you know, because of that, I imagine it had to be a place of peace, you know, because back when there was – only physical land barriers blocking humans from other humans. I mean, that's not a physical land barrier anymore. You know, you, you had to be peaceful. I'm sure it had some trade and stuff, and they had big shoals or shores where they were doing their ceremonies. And I know I, I, I've heard, I don't know, obviously I was not around during that yeah. time, nor yeah. am I a privileged white boy, a native of this area, but I imagine it was babbling, and so they believed that the river sang. And, I mean, dude, there was even music such powerful music back then when she during the trail of tears got pushed out to Oklahoma like you said walked all the way back and it is just how powerful must that have been that she she felt like she had to do that because she had to be in this place this place of peace this place of music that had such a pull on her heart I mean and honestly I've lived here for nine eight years now I moved up here to go to college over at UNA because when I graduated high school in Montgomery it was the only school in the state with like a serious entertainment industry degree. And, you know, I knew that some stuff had happened to, you know, fame. I knew Aretha Franklin had recorded, but I really didn't know the history of the area really until I saw the documentary. And one of my buddies, my best friend, freaking Noah Shell, he uh, told me to watch the documentary. He was interning at Fame. And he was like, Spencer, you got to watch this documentary. And I, of course, as soon as I saw it, I was like, well, 
uh, duh, I'm going to go intern. And that's where I met John Gifford, one of my other best friends in the entire world, who's taught me so much. And, you know, it's just incredible. Like, I just had no idea the depth that this area had and still has. It still surprises me. The more I get to know these guys, it honestly wasn't long ago that I actually got to meet Roger Hawkins. Like, I had worked with him for about six years, and I got to meet him. My buddy Alan Schulman, who's like a legendary engineer in the area, was like, Spencer, do you want to go meet Roger Hawkins? I was like, uh, yes, Alan, I have got to go meet Roger Hawkins. Yeah. So we just sat there, and Alan was awesome. He was like, dude, now he will answer any question you might have. And I was like, dude, Alan, you know me. I'm a guy that I sit there and I listen to these cats because, you know, I've been around these guys long enough, including Rick and Jimmy Johnson and all these other guys, that – I learned that you sit there and you be quiet because they're going to tell you what they think that you should know, especially if they know that you're, you know, a young person trying to be in the music business. They're going to give you all the information that you need, and everybody kind of does it different. You know, Rick, he always told me I would have three-hour conversations with Rick about how I was never going to make it in the music business. I couldn't work hard enough to make it in the music business. I might as well give up trying to make it in the music business. The music business isn't for people like me. And, of course, you know, he was trying to, I guess in his own way, either scare me out of it, which didn't work, or try to tell me that, dude, this is hard. This is not for the faint of heart, you know? Yeah. But it was cool because – Roger, we just sit there and we talk about life, and of course life turned into music because for music lovers like us, life is music. Music is life. There is very little distinction between the two. You know, I I, I do. I'm around it, thankfully, almost every waking moment of my life. All my friends make music along with me. Thankfully, I am like one of the least talented members of my entire group. And they just oh, I don't believe that. <laughs> well, well, but, you know, honestly, on some level, it really is true, man. I, they inspire me so much and teach me so much because music is magic, dude. It really, really is. The more you try to learn about it, the further and further you realize that we, are, we can't actually touch it. You know, it's the inspiration that we're given, and we get really close, and, man, it's – it's a difficult thing to actually get a hold of, and that's why it's powerful when you have people like the Swampers and Rick to do it over and over and over again and touch this magic, and it actually touched the lives of everybody else in the world. You know, it yeah. wasn't just in the area. It wasn't just in the country. It was like literally the rest of the world. I, I have a guy from Japan that's trying to record with me in the next two weeks because of what happened in Muscle Shoals, man? In Japan, dude, that's yeah. forever away. Yeah. And it's just a powerful Amazing. thing. But, you know, Roger, he even, like I said, we just kind of got into some beautiful conversation about exactly that, just life and music because, man, it just is. And it comes back to the song. You know, it's human inspiration. And that is one of the things that all those guys, that's, how I, that's my litmus test of guys that know what they're talking about and guys that don't know what they're talking about is if they're talking about the song and how inspirational the song is, that's what matters, you know, because it is. It's what pulls on our heartstrings as human beings because, honestly, stuff really hasn't changed. I mean, yeah, we're getting to 2020 and all this ridiculous stuff that's going on, good and bad and in between. I mean, I believe that it's all going to turn out because love prevails always, always, Mm -hmm. always love prevails. And, you know, 
it's crazy because even then, back when we talk about Roman times and through every other time there is, human beings were worried about the same kind of stuff then as we are now. The things that have changed is our language, our technology, and the clothes that we wear. Other than that, you know, we still all want love. We still all want to be respected. We all still, you know, want other groups of people to invest in us and see the value in what we have versus what they have and how when we do come together and have that unity, we can change the world, dude. I mean, think about when in the documentary they talk about, you know, this group of white boys, you know, the Swampers, and then, of course, you know, the fame gang was a mixed group of players, and even in Memphis we had mixed players and stuff. When black and white people get together, that's when the best music is made. You oh, man, yeah. And even now, when you think about the radio being, you know, dude, there are Despacito was a number one hit for many, many weeks. I mean, uh, Latina stuff in the whole world, man. That's what's beautiful about America is we can come together and make this beautiful music. And anyway, maybe yeah. I'm getting off subject a little bit, but really not, dude. I mean, that's what this whole thing is about. That's what this Muscle Shoals thing is about. That's what music is about. It's really about people coming together and taking care of each other and not worrying about the differences between us, but realizing that we are all on the same page together, you know? Yeah. And even though there might be some differences in our struggles, that we really all have the same struggles and we all really do want to – we want to be together. And we all want to be loved, and it's important for us to love each other past any kind of ridiculousness, you know what I'm saying? But anyway. Yeah, no, just, no. I I, I agree with you 100% because, you know, back on the subject of Arthur Alexander, I also have a, a 45 of You Better Move On. And, um, you don't, you know, when you play that and you let it soak in, you don't hear, well, this is a white guy playing this or this is a black person playing that. You just hear one of the most incredible things ever to uh, collaborate, not to mention, you know, the first hit right out of the gate for Rick Hall. I mean, just, uh, you know, you don't Or do you don't we hear. even care? Yeah. You know, I mean – it's not even a thing. We're just thinking about, dude, you better get away from my girl right now because you better move on. It's only between him, her and the Lord above who she's going to love. And it. Dude, it ain't going to be you, bro. It's going to be <laughs> me, you know? It's just fantastic. Yeah, it's just a ti it's timeless, timeless music. It is timeless. I mean, when we, even when we think about when a man loves a woman, you know, I mean, dude, that is forever. You know, that has – men will always love women, and it is a – you know, we will always try to love each other because when you fall in love with somebody, doesn't matter what person it is or who you are, you're going to do anything. You will attack your best friend if they start talking bad about the person you love, and that's just why. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do that? You know. Yeah. Anyway, love is music. Music is love, man, and that's yeah. that's kind of what is awesome. Like I said, really about this area and what I've really learned about the most. Uh, from the studio and all these guys that have have lived that life, man, it really is. It's just about trying to come together and hold each other accountable, and pull. maybe we're going to pick and play a little bit of music together, you know? Yeah, no, I'm with you because from the moment, um, the moment I, I got to go in there and check everything out, the place has just been calling me. I've just been saving money and saving money, and my main focus in my life, my, my main goal, which keeps me striving, is – keep this podcast going week to week but first and foremost I've, I've got to get to that area i've been on truly i'm looking up houses in sheffield i'm looking in florence muscle shoals and once i get that 
thick, heavy down payment, dude. That's where I, I you know, I'm, I wasn't born there, but I'm definitely going to die there. There's no doubt. Dude, well, come <laughs> on, brother. I was not born here either. I was a man. I was born in Chicago. Right I was on. down south when I was young. Like I said, I went to high school in Montgomery, Alabama, and I just stumbled upon this area not knowing. And, dude, this is a powerful area. Now, I will be honest. I have heard, and I heard this when I was in college before I knew about all this music stuff, is that there is a curse on the land that if you get to attach this area, you can, it, no other place will ever feel like home. And I'll be right. honest, I have found that that is the case. Even when I went home to see my parents after I graduated, you know, after I graduated high school and came back for college, every time I remember crossing. Well, really, it's right before you get to O'Neill when you see the signs for Florence. You're like, oh yes, this is this is where I belong. And crossing O'Neill into Florence because I lived in Florence and went to U at A at the time. It's just like. Yeah, I really don't want to be anywhere else. It's just awesome. <laughs> yeah. But for a young music professional, you know, I don't know if anybody out there's ever tried to make money making music. It is um very, 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 very difficult. There's a reason why Rick was always like, Your nose is not for you. But yeah. it's kind of cheap to live here too, you know? And that's really what's awesome is like we are able to, you know, me and all my groups of friends that make record after record, like we are able to sit here and make high quality music with the top level artists, engineers, record producers, and musicians, songwriters in the entire industry, and live in an area where, man, we can actually afford to do it and do it all the time. You know, I don't need a side gig. Thankfully, honestly, my side gig is working at the studio. You yeah. know, and I get to make records all night and, you know, but it's just, oh, it's just such a, such a beautiful, beautiful thing and situation that I honestly stumbled upon and was able to make some of my best friends of my entire life doing it and making music with them. Yeah, it's it's great. And, and I, I hear the same passion in you that I, that I heard the first time and that's what makes it so wonderful. But um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I've loved music my whole life. Uh, unfortunately, you know through uh, mistakes in my youth, uh, mainly just podcast about it and play a little bit for fun. But, uh, uh, you know, living in Middle Tennessee and, and, you know, my roots are in music as well, uh, Music City and Nashville. It's just, unfortunately, my area is getting way too big for its britches, if you know what I mean. And uh, I just got to find something different because, like, every time I turn around, they just there's people moving in droves and like to get a decent sized house, it's like a quarter of a million dollars. And it's just, it's getting to be too much. <laughs> well, and you know what? And that's good for them. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm thankful, dude. Nashville is blooming and blossoming with all that, you know, people moving there and all that stuff. And that is a gorgeous thing. I, you know, let them do that. And honestly, I've seen them all come down here as well. You know, there's a bunch of pockets of young people that mm -hmm. are slowly coming down. Like there's this whole, group of like young rock and rollers that they're like oh yeah dude i just like writing catchy songs and playing rock and roll i'm like dude and you want to come down here and record even though they're living in nashville they're like yeah dude of course man this is it i'm like yes dude it is just honestly the stuff that's going on up there is just inspirational but it's beautiful that it's leaking down into our area as well and we get to share in that that's what's kind of cool is you know muscle shoals is two hour about two hours away from Nashville, about two hours away from Memphis, and you know we get that synergy between those three cities going. And Muscle Shoals definitely is a 
and the area is definitely a uh, benefactor of all that kind of like just good musical juju, you know? Yeah. It's the it's the hotbed. It's it's the place. It yeah, because because uh, anybody that like really loves music, you could talk about it. You know, you've got you've got Nashville, you've got Muscle Shoals, and you've got Memphis. That's the trifecta of everything. Oh, yeah. Now let's not forget. Now New Orleans, New Orleans is a oh, beautiful forget, place yeah, still too. Coming up that Mississippi, but it is just like what is it six seven hours away from me? So it's just far enough that it's like can't quite grab it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's there. No, I'm with you. I, I totally forgot. No disrespect to uh, New Orleans, but yeah, they uh, they uh, laid the foundation there for for jazz and everything. So. Oh yeah, so much. Um, and honestly, Josh, I want to go back to what you said, man. I don't think there's any mistake in what you made, dude. I'm thankful that you're able to uh, help people like me get the word out. You know what I'm saying? Because if you weren't doing the podcast and stuff, man, dude, I can sit there and give tours all day, but I don't have that kind of reach. So I appreciate you. You made no mistakes, bro. You do it exactly for music that you're supposed to be doing for music. That's why you're there doing it, bro. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it because um, it, it means everything to me. It's it's, it's my dream in life to uh, to get there. It, it, it yearns for me. And then, uh, you know, I took off the 20th, and, and I'll be back uh, for a tour. Um, hopefully, I brought my mom. I'm gonna try to bring my daughter. She's she's big into music too, and I think it'll uh, it'll change her her life as well because it just. Uh, it ran through me like uh, the first time I got, you know, you get baptized or something. It's just like I can't explain it. Like a, like all your uh, neuros and your electrodes go off all in one spot. <laughs> oh yeah, your hair stand up on the end of your, the back of your neck, and you just feel like different all of a sudden. There's a before and after being in Muscle Shoals, especially walking in Studio A for the very first time. I mean, yeah. I know I remember it. I'm sure you remember it, but there is. There's a moment where it's like, all right, this is life after experience of room. And it's it's funny, man. It is – I'm going to say it's not just a room, but it is. It's just those four walls, and it's a beautiful construction. You know, Rick did a really good job making it and kind of getting it right over the years. But yep. the music that happened there stayed there. You know, I mean, we have yeah. talked so much about – already about the power of music itself, and that stuff sticks. You're saying human expression, us humans, we're powerful, man. That stuff sticks in the walls. I'm telling you, you feel it at the right time. I mean, maybe the first, maybe since I've been there a bunch now, you know, I don't really feel that initial feeling every single day because I spend many, many, many hours in those studios working my teeth to the bone, trying to, you know, really, really, really get what they had and try to find out, you know, the, the meat of of what what they were going after that freaking human inspiration but there's quiet moments you know when nobody else is there and honestly i because i'm lucky enough to be a young man that works there i get turned off of the lights and you start playing in the dark and you know i'm no singer you can ask anybody that knows me nobody wants to hear me sing so i'm (laughs) by myself i sing loud and i sing proud and he's like it starts feeling like the whole room starts moving in kind of a way that you're like, Phew. I mean, even now, again, I'm getting, it, it gets powerful. It moves through you. It's it's a really incredible. It's the best. Uh, anyway, I had a question for you, and it's just because I really want to learn. Um, what's Please. the difference between, like, your gig as an engineer versus, like, the producer? Like, I know it's hand-in-hand, hand, but what could you kind of explain a little bit to me? I'm just really wanting to learn more than anything. So, um an engineer is, and you know, 
an engineer tends to be more of the technical sonics of what's going on, right? So they're really listening for all making sure the speakers are moving the right way because at the end of the day, that's all we're really trying to do. We're just trying to move a set of speakers so that the end consumer, whether it be on their cell phone or in earbuds, on their laptop speakers or on the most high-fidelity system that you know anybody could ever buy, it sounds good and it feels good, right? And mm-hmm. so that's the engineer's job. Their engineer job is to capture that lightning, to capture that magic. And honestly, what it really does is it lets the producer – Focus on the notes that are being played, the arrangement, trying to make sure the emotion is happening because you really can't – and now you can. I mean there's plenty of engineer and producers. I mean I'm one myself. Rick was one. You know, There's many, many, many engineer-producer types. But when you can have an engineer that you trust to sit there and capture the music in the right way as a producer – in that situation, you can focus on the emotion of the record, and you don't have to worry about, is my kick drum or my snare sounding good? Because the engineers, he's got that handy. You know? It's yeah. being captured the way it needs to be captured. Just like, honestly, you know, I've many times been in the engineer seat, and I've had, you know, producers next to me, and you can just, you see it on them when they don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. They, they can focus on... It just lets kind of their head not have to be on the the scientific part of it because so much of engineering, even though it is emotional, it is also very like you know yeah, I need to make sure that I don't have a lot of three K going on because that make it a little bit harsh or there's too much high end or make sure it's not all muffly and muddy and you know my gonna dip a little of them low mids out to make sure it ha- you know all that kind of scientificy stuff or making sure all the microphones are working well. You know, so really that's what the engineer versus producer's role is. You know, the engineer is really making sure it's captured well, while the producer is really making sure that the the message is getting across. And both, you know, they they are hand-in-hand. That's a special relationship with the engineer and the producer. You know, when you're in that control room, you're relying on each other, you know. You're the one, you know, talking back and forth, and honestly – it really is a partnership making sure it's like, what do you think? Well, you know, I think this, well, good. Well, that's what we'll go with. Or what do you think? Well, I think this, or, you know, there's a, there is a huge partnership happening between producer and engineer because, well, they're the one listening to what the record's actually going to sound like. And, you know, you try to make sure that the musicians have that on the floor as well, but at the same time, they're the one playing, you know, they're making sure that they're, harnessing the right notes from the air and being those antennas, you know, and yeah. we get to kind of look at the picture that they're creating and assess it and make sure it's the right picture. Although I've always, always heard that it's funny. As technical as an engineer you can be, at the end of the day, and it will always go back to this, if it's a great song with great musicians and a great performance from a great singer – in a great room, those EQs and everything else will just end up working better. Everything becomes more magic the more magic that original inspiration is, that original song is. You know, it really is. Yeah. It's incredible. And I've I've experienced that same thing with, you know, that um, 
uh, we were talking about earlier the Alan Jackson record. I mean, that was magic, you know, for real. I felt it from the very first downbeat all the way through. And we did a couple takes to make sure it was right, of course, but it it was magic. And you felt it coming through those speakers. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, we could sit here and do it a couple more times and we could play it different or we could EQ it different, but we're not going to beat whatever that was, you know, and that's, that's powerful. It really is. Yeah. And there, there's so many songs that I've heard that, that came through there that it is every one of them. And, and the crazy thing is that throughout my life, before I even knew about uh, Muscle Shoals and Fame, I've, I've uh, loved all these individual songs. Like, like for example, the other day um, I was uh, listening to Spotify and uh, um, I can't really remember the name of the song, but it's Arthur Connolly, you know, Spotlight on James Brown and Sweet Soul Music. Is that what Sweet Soul Music. Yeah. Okay. And and this is honest to God, uh, no BS in you. Uh, I thought that is so good. It had to have been recorded at Muscle Shoals. And uh, sure looking up, yeah, lo, lo and behold. Uh, and, and there are songs I've heard like that that you just think this sounds. It sounds like that's where it came from. And you know that was the first one for me, and I just couldn't believe it. I already enjoyed the song, but I was like, this just sounds like that's where it was recorded. And sure enough, it just blew my mind. So. Oh yeah, now Otis Redding produced that on Arthur Conley. At fame, it, it it is incredible. I mean, it's yeah. yeah, you can hear it when when it's right, and maybe that's what it is, you know, about Muscle Shoals is, you know, we take our time, and it doesn't really take, you know, because thankfully we have players there that are absolutely incredible, and you know, Rick really set that bar really high for players. You know, everybody talks about when they first, you know. In the early days, Rick did 5,000 takes or did a ridiculous number of takes, but they ended up taking, you know, the third or fourth or second take because, you know, they weren't worn out and their fingers weren't all, you know, blistered and stuff by then. Yeah. But, you know, Rick was – he wanted to get it right, and honestly, thankfully, he did get it right. And But, yeah, no, there's just something special about, like, the musicians and just kind of – how they can bring it all together and you just play different when you're in Muscle Shoals. You're just, music feels different when you're here. I don't know. It's awesome that they, we get to take our time, even though it doesn't necessarily take that long to get it right. You know, it's cool. Yeah. My, uh, uh, not only just moving there, but my bucket list one day is that, uh, in my career as a drummer or not really career, but playing and being in certain bands, uh, uh, one thing I've never done is play with a horn section. Oh man! If I ever lay a track, I'm gonna need that uh, that Hammond uh, muddy water sound in uh, piano, organ, and some horns, and I'm gonna do it in fame. It's just gonna happen one day. I was gonna say, well, you know, right? You just give me a call, brother. We can get you in the studio. I'll get you some great musicians, some incredible horn players, dude. We will. We can get it right for you. That's easy, bro. <laughs> I just, uh, before I before I head on to the here on after, which will be many moons from now, hopefully, I just. I need to lay down one song there, and I've always wanted to jam with horns and and, and all that, and it, it's going to happen. I, I just, uh, you know, it's my goal. It's it's making life worth living, and yeah. um, I just appreciate you talking to me. You've got me so happy. The twentieth won't get here quick enough, and uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah, can't can't wait to see you. I'll be over there. Hopefully, you won't be uh, sold out. I'll have my my uh, mask on as per the the fine governor you guys got. And uh, oh yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. We need our masks on. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I saw that when I read. Uh, I read on, you know, uh, I guess it was Instagram yesterday when you guys were like, "Hey, we're we're back open." So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah. that was, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier about having a horn. That was one cool thing 
about the Greg Allman because Greg Allman he actually did his last record there at Fame, and he did. He had literally the entire record going down as he was going. He had his horn section. He had Mark Cunis playing percussion, Steve Potts playing drums in the Fame room, him and Peter on the keyboards, and Scott Sherrard playing, and then Ron Johnson playing bass. I mean, the whole record was just happening in front of us. That was a another really really cool situation that we got to experience as i say yeah you were there for that how awesome oh yeah it was awesome it was 10 days in the studio don was was producing uh-huh. and uh you know my buddy don shrigley who you know was an engineer at fame on and off for so many years him john gifford and myself and we uh got a man that was that was a special moment really getting to experience those guys because that was my first major artist that I'd ever gotten to work with was Greg Allman. And I actually got to do that right before I graduated. I had to take a week off of school and I was asking my professors, it's like, Hey, so, you know, I'm going to take a week off of school or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, of course they were all really cool, but one of them, uh, Walt Aldridge, who worked at fame for 17 years and wrote 63, number one, or uh, 63 songs that chart on billboards, top 50 and just, a legend to himself. He was teaching my production class, and he, of course, I was trying to be cool about it because, you know, you don't want to be that guy in class being like, "Hey, y'all, I got the gig, and all y'all are, you know, we're learning." But I know I work at Fame, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, nobody likes that guy. So I wasn't ever trying to be that guy. But of course, I got back after a week of working with Don Was and Greg Allman and all these legendary guys, and yeah. Uh, he was like, well, Spencer, you just worked with Don Was. How was that? I was like, oh, dude, you just straight called me out, embarrassed me. But if you want to ask, it was incredible. He's magic. He knows how to capture magic. And, I mean, that was a that was a really cool situation. Not only that, he uh, there was a weird misprint on the uh, first run of that record where my name got left off. And he was such a nice guy that he actually sent me a personal letter and – the record ended up getting nominated for a Grammy that year. Wow. He sent me a Grammy a nomination certificate and a oh, personal dude. letter saying, dude, I'm so sorry. I was like, dude, you first of all, never had to do that. I was just thankful to be in the room with you. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, sometimes you just get left off credits, and that's a – many, many people have had that happen to them. But, man, what an awesome guy he was to be able to, like, go back, you know, a lowly assistant like me in that situation and – you know, make me feel really cool about it. That's still, that's still, that's great because it was, I mean, well deserved. That just means that you, you know, you did your job to the fullest. But uh, one credit you've got every time I open up this CD of mine, of course, is uh, the Muscle Shoals Small Town Big Sound. But that, you know, that's one of the greatest contributions ever. Every song on that one's good. There's no filler. Dude, it, it really is. It is such, that was such a fun record to be a part of. And I mean, Oh, I mean, again, we can go back with the names. I mean, of course, one of the highlights of that one was getting to work with Steven Tyler. And he was one of the guys that made me confirm for me what superstar level cats do. You know, having worked in the studio with a bunch of guys, the first thing he said, he introduced himself to us, shook our hands, and gave us a big hug, as if we did not know who Steven Tyler was walking through the door. <laughs> and it was like, you know, dude, that is what – that's what you do when you're a superstar. You're humble, you take care of other people, and you don't assume that anybody knows who you are. Having been in the opposite situation where there's been, you know, honestly, I could have, you know, 
other people where I don't know who they are at first, you know, but I know, you know, that they've had hits or something, and they never introduce themselves to me because they expect I should know. And honestly, I couldn't even now tell you who they were, you know, and it's so yeah. cool. Like when you are on that level, you take care of people. Foy Vance, who's another cat in my book, who's an awesome dude. I mean, he's buddies with Ed Sharon and all this stuff. He came back one time, met him one day, and remembered my name. And I was like, oh, from now on, I have to remember everybody's name that I talked to because that's what you do when you're a cool cat like Foy Vance. You remember yeah, people's yeah. names, you know? And it's just those kind of lessons, man, they really go a long way. They really, really do. Yeah, and, and it means a lot. It's so cool. Like when you see them later down the line, they say something to you. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh, she does remember me or she remembers me or whatever. Yeah, it makes you feel so special. Allison Krause is another person that – you know, we had met, and um, she, you know, she actually performed at Rick Hall's funeral, and that was a very, very special, very solemn uh, moment. I, you know, just if anybody wants to, you should go check out his funeral on uh, YouTube. It's out there. It is. It's great. Uh, you know, it definitely has sad moments, and it's a long funeral, but it's it's a celebration of life and who Rick was, and it, it kind of opened up my eyes because you know I think of Rick as hit record producer Rick. And so it was really a special situation, but she, we went back to the green room, me and my buddy John, and she, the whole room full of superstars and all these legendary cats, and she like waves us down, runs over, gives us a big hug. It's like, that's my buddy Alison Krauss right there. You yeah, know, that's, yeah, that's so cool. You know, so cool. And then she opens her mouth and like heaven comes out of it. Oh, <laughs> you could not be more right, dude. What about that version of Come and Go Blues? I mean, yeah. Oh, oh my goodness, that is such a beautiful recording, and oh, dude, I, I, yes, she is a special, special human being for so many reasons, and her talent shouldn't, oh, forever and ever, she is incredible. Well, let me ask you this, because you know you were kind enough to accept my Facebook friend request. That made me feel cool, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> um, um, I see, you know, you're behind the, the uh, organ there. Are you in a band right now with everything else you've got going on, or are you, do you do music as well, uh, as far as performing, not just uh, engineering? So I don't play out. No, I don't do that. Um, honestly, I, as much as I love playing music, and I do, and I, I'm, I have thankfully over, like, the last, you know, years of my life, I've kind of picked up, you know, playing a couple of different instruments. Uh, I'm really not as good as a musician as I want to be. Really, when you start hanging out with these rooms with like literally the best musicians ever, you figure out real quick how you don't line out, you know. <laughs> and so I really don't. I don't. I don't feel you know maybe confident in my musical ability enough to play out in front of people. But what I I really do more than anything else is I, I I'm a engineer and songwriter and I'm I'm a record producer as well because really that's where I've learned most of my skills is really helping people capture that vision and put it between the speakers, you know, and thankfully because I, you know, do am versed at least a little bit on, you know, multiple instruments, I can talk to a guitar player and speak guitar player speak and speak keyboard player speak and drummer speak and speak engineer speak because everybody else speaks different speaks and an artist, you know, they don't, they, they don't have to or may, be able to speak all those different languages. That's the record producer's job, you know? Really, they just need to have that vision and that song, and then we put it, you know, in the, between the speakers. Literally, the seconds before I got, uh, you know, 
started talking to you, Josh. I was talking to just a guy in the area, and he was talking about how he had a funny song and how he needed help getting some music to it and how he really didn't want to sing it. And I was like, oh, brother, of course, man. And I laid it all out for him. I was like, we can do full-blown productions. We can do nothing. And he was like, oh, man, dude, I really appreciate you talking to me about this stuff. I'm like, dude, you are – I appreciate you because this is – you know, this is my dream because I don't have the musical talent that I wish I did. I get to help other people achieve their visions, you know, and it really is awesome. Trust me, because if I could sing, I'd be a dangerous man on stage. But unfortunately, <laughs> God did not bless me with that at all. Although yeah. I will sing for all my friends when I'm writing with them all the time, and then they'll quickly be like, yeah, 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 that's good, Spencer. So really we should sing it like this. It's like, okay, cool, cool, yeah, yeah. We should sing it like that. But, you yeah, know, no. good words, right? Yeah, so. Well, uh, like, no, it just takes all kinds of kinds to keep the, the beauty of the – see, one thing beautiful about music is that nobody really disagrees. Everybody likes some kind of music to some extent, and it takes all kinds to, to, to make it go around. So you've got a very important job. But, uh, you know, you definitely made an impression on me, and I'm really proud that uh, you took the time to talk to me because uh, – you just you you got it, man. You're 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 the new Walt Disney there. And, 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 oh uh, man, well I, I don't know about that, but I definitely appreciate you, Josh. Man, you're making me feel real special about reaching out to me and making me want to have this conversation. Because, dude, again, it, I love this stuff. I love it. I love being able to share it with people. Even giving tours for me is a big deal. And maybe I'm getting kind of past that a little bit more and more in my career as I take on more and more responsibilities. And yes. thankfully, I have you know young interns that are like starting to give tours and stuff at the studio. I can rely on them to be able to do that, and you know that's a big deal. I had a, you know, they need to make sure that they are inspiring people because that is, it's a powerful thing when people come to Fame or Muscle Shoals Sound or really anywhere in the area. It's so inspirational. If we don't feel it in ourselves, like, and we can't get that across to people, we are literally doing it a – not a kind of disservice, but a major disservice. And I have just been lucky enough to be able to hopefully be a you know, a torchbearer in the story of Muscle Shoals, even if it's a little, little slice of what I could possibly be a part of because it is important, and it is an important skill and thing to pass on. I mean I don't know – not many people know how to run a full-blown, you know, studio with a bunch of musicians on the floor with a full real-sized console. You know, a lot of kids nowadays, and I honestly am literally doing it myself. I have a little studio rig and a laptop in my apartment with a 25 little keyboard, keyboard, making a record, you know, and a lot of us are making records that way, but it is special to be able to um, – to be able to make records both ways, you know, not only the way they did it back in the 60s but, and now, but to be able to mix them all together and see what kind of new stuff we can come up with. Because really, that's what it's about. Going back to our very, you know, earlier in our conversation, the more we can mix together and take care of each other, like, and spread the old with the new and all the anybody and all the world together with music, I mean, that's where you get new special music from, man. It really is. I mean... Yeah. It's incredible because you know somewhere in the world right now, even as we speak, there's somebody playing something that we haven't heard yet that everybody's going to gravitate towards. Oh, dude, yes. I mean, think about Old Town Road, man, dude. That was number <laughs> one for 
I mean, I want to say 21 weeks or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Like, where did that come from? It just got popular on a TikTok, and it blew up and became one of the biggest songs of all time. Yeah, and yeah. that right there, if that's not inspirational, I don't know what is. Yeah, and you know, totally revamped Billy Ray without, uh, you know, Miley. He he kind of re revamped his career with that, you know. Oh, definitely. And you know what? He just did a record just before that in Muscle Shoals over the Nut House with all the Muscle Shoals players. Really? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's out, but everybody should check that out too because it is. It's a cool little record that he did over there in Muscle Shoals. I mean, it's just. Dude, I'm telling you, it, it is really a deep area when it comes to that stuff. Like I said, we've really talked mostly about fame and Muscle Shoals sound, but dude, at one time there was 15 studios in town. I mean, I would start missing people if we really started getting into the depth of how much music has really been made in this area and how much you know this area has inspired music across the planet. It is not what the job for you and I right here, Josh, or we would we would fail immensely, which is just fine for me. I'll be honest. I'm okay with a failure on that level. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh it's amazing because every genre, but uh yeah, it's just it's the best. And and it, you know, I've become obsessed with it as far as being a music lover and, and I can't spread it enough. I have every shirt uh <laughs> that you guys have in the Yes, I, yes. It, and it, if I'm out and about uh, I've got one on. As a matter of fact I'm wearing one right now. Oh, which one you got on right now? I got on. You know the it, well on the website it's blue and it says it just says fame. It kind of looks like Superman. With the Superman logo? Oh yes. But I bought the gray one. I wanted it to be different, so I've got the gray one. Dude, yes, the gray one is awesome, man. Honestly, that's the one when we started talking about Superman logo. I was like, dude, we've got to get a gray shirt with the Superman logo on it. So, Josh, you were you're holding down, holding down for me, bro. I appreciate you. Yeah. The podcast is glad to welcome featured guest Mick Hayes, who recently recorded a fantastic album, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, at fame, called My Claim to Fame. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more right here on the Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. So, Mick, like uh, I wanted to tell you, um, being a big fan of Muscle Shoals Fame Studios, um, mm. you know, I keep a pretty close watch on my socials, what they got going on. This uh, this album of yours glided across. I guess it was yesterday or the day before, or I don't know how long ago it was. And then heard. I went to YouTube, listened to the first song, "Sweet to Me," uh, mm -hmm. the be the bee's knees, and then I had to hunt you down. And then luckily, uh, thankfully, uh, could get a hold of you, and we're talking now on the podcast about it. So thank you for taking the time. Well, thank you, man. Actually, I listened to uh, two of your podcasts this morning. Uh, while I was doing my uh, my paperwork and computer work, and I really enjoyed it, man. So thank you for having me. Cool. Thanks. That means a lot. Uh, crazily enough, I got a letter from prison from the Tiger King. Oh, really? Um, got me over two million views uh, a few weeks ago. So been, been no pretty kidding. pretty wild. Yeah, uh, he wrote it wrote him on a whim and uh, went ahead and wrote to me, and it just kind of took off. But my my, <laughs> my main forte is is music, and then um, you know I do a little stand up comedy or, or talk to people about it. But uh, Muscle Shoals is my favorite place on earth. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I think you captured, I think you, uh, you know, my claim to fame is the perfect name for this, uh, this album. And, um, it's just, it's just great. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, give us a little bit of the backstory if you don't mind. Sure. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I'm, uh, 
just getting uh, getting around to talking for the day. One of the uh, uh, things with being here in lockdown in New York has, has been just like, you know, I spend so much time just kind of either, you know, doing anything but talking. So I, I apologize if I clear my throat a time or two. That's oh, okay. Hey, it's all good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I grew up, um, you know, with uh, three different um, uh, collections of hand-me-down records. I actually had uh, my fa- both my mother and my father's collection, and then I got my grandfather's collection when he passed. Wow. And as I started, uh, you know, like our neighborhood, like nobody had Nintendos or things like that. And, and uh, I, I just gravitated to instruments in general. Any any time I got to spend either playing guitar or playing piano, and we had a piano in the house, it just seemed to be what I did. Um, and you know, as I started kind of putting things together, I started seeing some of the same you know producers, uh, and from record to record, and I would see the same studio from record to record. And, and then as uh, I got a little wiser, I should say, into my teens, I started to really kind of identify with a specific sound. Yeah. And uh, and it, and that was it. It was the 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 Muscle Shoals sound, and it was the rhythm sections, and it was those kinds of things. Which was funny because I was a guitar player, and and you know everybody expected me to be listening to like heavy guitar music. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was there was more there was just so much more to be you know kind of studied for me. Uh, and when I finally got the opportunity, uh, I met Will McFarlane first, uh-huh. and uh, Will put me in touch. Uh, well, I believe actually, it, John, um, sorry, I'm tripping over my words here. Um, Justin Holder and I, I had met through Will McFarlane, and Justin's like, "Why don't you come down to Fame? Like, I'll be your drummer, and we'll do some tracking." And uh, he put me in touch with uh, John Gifford the third. And we had talked about it probably for at least a year, maybe even longer, about me coming down there. And my original intent was to come down and cut a 45 the way, you know, like Fame would have or, you know, like one of the Atlantic ones that that I grew up with. <clears throat> and just come down and cut a 45, cut an A and a B. Yep. And, uh, and when I finally decided to do it, uh, there's a much longer story behind it, but I won't bore you with it too much. Uh, when I when I finally decided to do it, um, we we cut the first two songs, and and I just knew it couldn't I knew it couldn't end there. Um, yeah. And then what was what was at that time wasn't uh, two song you know like a forty five, and then it turned into a uh, it was going to be a five song EP, and then it was going to be a seven song EP, and then uh, eventually it just uh, grew into a a full album. So yeah. uh, when you hear it. Uh, to those of you that are listening or yourself, it's actually only five recording dates, but it it's spread out over two years. Wow. Uh, yeah, G- July 1st will be actually two years since the first time we hit record. Cool. So it was uh, it was a marinated process. Um, the 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 first song, and this is what you know, it reminds me of, and this is just my opinion, like I said, for what it's worth, but. You know, it's like uh, you're talking about your guitar skills, and then and then your your voice is so soulful. It's like it's like Dwayne Allman and, and Wilson Pickett, but you're all wrapped into one. Well, thank you. <laughs> because you got the, you got the guitar licks, and uh, you know, and then you've got the the soul about you, and it just listen. Like I said, I've got to hear the one song, and I'm chomping at the bit uh, to hear the rest of it, but. Um, it sounds like you you did it justice, and I think old Rick Hall was smiling down from from heaven when when uh, when you got into his uh his blessed studio there uh, down. Yeah. In so yeah. 
that was one of those things too, where it's like if I'd have probably jumped a little bit sooner, man, Rick would have been there because uh, he passed in January. Yeah, uh, and that was yeah, it was really sad that I was like, I think I just procrastinated on something really. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where I would have loved to have met him. Everybody that I <clears throat> that I did meet down there said, you know, all really nice things. And I didn't want to be the guy that said, you know, do you think Rick would have <laughs> would have dug my music or anything like that? But yeah, uh, you know, everybody was like, man, Rick Rick was just so cool, and I'm like, man, I felt like I missed out on it even more. So if it's any consolation, man, if you got a dream, don't procrastinate. Start tomorrow. That's it. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> I uh, my my dream uh you know I, I've played drums most of my life I, I haven't played as much now as I'd like to since uh, adulting is in the way but uh my my outlet is, is this podcast and and you know it's just a fun hobby but you know thankful for it I get to learn and, and get exposed to new stuff and then have great conversations with phenomenal musicians such as yourself and uh, you know talk about music and then you just happen to, ha- to record it like my favorite place on earth and I was like oh man just just groovy oh. Yeah. Uh, question, question. In the video suite to me, you picked up a Wilson Pickett album. Was yeah. that your thing or was that like just by fate? Because I was like, hey, here he is picking up this album, which was recorded by the Swampers and everything. And I just thought, wow, that was cool if that was, you know, I just wanted to know the story behind that. Well, <clears throat> I guess I'll have to reveal the secret. <laughs> but uh, all, all the records that I pick out of that um you know, I mean, those records are hard to find in a music store nowadays. Yeah, um, because they're sought after. For the, I mean, that, and I'm sure somebody, you know, is like, "Oh, well, you can find them in, in my neck of the woods all the time." Well, here, well, in New York, in in the places that I travel and visit, you don't find those. You know, those are rare records. So I did kind of, I brought my own, uh, and those are, you know, that one actually I had uh, for a, God, I don't even know how long I've had that one for. Some of them I remember, some of them I don't. Uh, yeah. But yeah, those are those are my records in the video. I mean, I I love the store, both of the stores that I shop at. Um, you know, in the neighborhood here, I was at one of them today actually, and came home with some more. But uh, I'm 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 studying right now, and with all the reviews of the album, too, man. Uh, you know, it's it's nice to hear that everybody kind of feels the same way that I, that I hit the mark. Yeah. And um, but I don't think that would have happened if I wasn't such a student. I really really love listening to. You know everything that that the, that that sound has to offer. I mean, it's got to be in the horns too. It's got to be in the in the backup vocals, and and just in general, it's got to be soulful. It's got to be real. Yeah, yeah. You, you can you can hear the authenticity in it, and, and I really really enjoy that. And uh, you know, kudos. Uh, and you know, I read some of the. Um, the uh, reviews as well on your website and everything. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, everybody's on board. Uh, you, you try not to pay too much attention to that, but it certainly doesn't hurt, hurt the cause when everybody reviewing it, you know, pretty much saying, you know, the same thing. So that was really, really cool. Well, I think it's a tipping point sometimes for people. Um, you know, and I even, like when I used to get a record when I was a kid, um, you know, there would always be like kind of like the blurb on the back of the record or like, a, you know, like kind of like a preface. Mm-hmm. So and that was the stuff that you were reading, you know, as the needle was queued up, and you were just halfway through the first song, and you sat down and you started reading it. I think the same way about reviews like that, where I, I, you know, I wanted to have those graphics that just said, you know, basically here's what you're in, you're in for if you're only listening to song one. Yeah. Um, but I'm really old fashioned when it comes to that stuff for a guy in his early forties. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you, man. I, I I'm a 37 th- year old guy myself, and 
you know, to me, like, uh, I was so glad it was on vinyl because that's what I was looking for because, uh, to me, vinyl is just the sounds and, and the fact that, you know, you have to kind of be delicate with a record and it's it's just, a, it's kind of like a, it's almost like a spiritual movement when you put one on and, yeah. and you know, pod your Victrola up. So, uh, I was glad you had that. I mean, was that the intention from the get anyway? Well, that's something to say about uh, cutting at fame, actually, because... Everything at Fame is, is still done by tradition, uh, right up to, okay, so do you want it to go to Pro Tools and the computer, or do you want to go to tape? Yeah. And uh, tape is still really, really expensive. And, and I kind of battled myself there because I wanted to be as authentic as possible, uh, but I knew that, that we were still under some time constraints and, and you know, and on top of that financial constraints, uh, tape is, is – uh, it's just really expensive. Let's just say that. So, you know, we we recorded in the traditional sense, and then everything went into the computer. Uh, but everything was still using the vintage microphones, the vintage equipment, uh, the Neve console. Um, you know, I brought vintage equipment for the guitar stuff. Uh, everything was done pretty traditional. And then when we decided, or I should say, when when the decision was made to go to to vinyl, it yeah, it was from the get go. If it was going to be a forty five. It was going yeah. to be vinyl, but then when ended up being a ten-song album, uh, I wanted to get the vinyl done right because, as you know, I'm I'm you know I'm an aficionado for lack of a better terms, but I, yeah. I I I love it. So I had the uh, I had another master done of it by Ryan Lucy uh, in California, who's who's been you know a big help to me through this process, and and we took the. Um, the other master, the vinyl specific master, uh, to Bernie Grundman uh, mastering and had Chris Bellman cut it there. And then after that, uh, just kind of going through the vinyl process was fascinating. Um, it's not the fastest thing in the world, but uh, that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, I mean, it's funny you can get CDs. I can get CDs on my uh, out of a. Uh, the factory and into the distribution warehouse in less than two weeks right now. Oh, wow. uh, whereas, whereas vinyls definitely going to take almost two months or more. <clears throat> so it was a little there was there was definitely some nerves there, but yeah. there's a big there's a big difference with vinyl. Uh, and uh, when I finally heard it on vinyl, and that's you know we used the test pressing in the video because we didn't even have a first pressing yet. Oh really. Yeah, yeah, the oh. one my, that uh, that my wife is holding there—that's the test pressing. That's cool. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but uh, now that we've got it on vinyl, to see all the packaging and see the artwork, and I'm just—it's something I'm really proud of, man. I'll—I'll I'll never regret going the extra miles on it at all. I, I hear you, and, and and I don't blame you one bit because, like I said, it's it's a it's a dream come true. And I just what impressed me is that how fame is still relevant. You know, a young man such as yourself living mm -hmm. in New York and gravitates towards, uh, you know, just like people, you know, like the Rolling Stones is in Europe or everything. It, yeah. Fame never gets old. Uh, there's, you know, there's always somebody that's going to go cut some magic there and you just proved that. So that's just awesome. Good job. Thank you. Well, once again, know, knowing, you know, the history is, is there and if the players are still there and they're willing to work, uh, you know, with a, a, you know, a young guy like myself, I mean, that was the best part. I mean, I've got, Records with Clayton Ivy and Bob Ray on them that I've had since uh, you know I, before I could you know drive. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the fact that I could call them up on the phone after I hang up with you today and they accept me as an equal, um, that's that says everything about the kind of humility that we're supposed to have in life, man. 
and yeah. uh, they're they're really really great guys. That's so cool. So you did you did use Muscle Shoals players then? Did you bring your everybody. your own bandmates as well? No, no, everybody's everybody's local. Um, cool. uh, yeah, everybody's local on the album, and I uh, I feel bad that you don't you don't have one in front of you yet, but. Yeah, but they're all uh, everybody's from the area. I was the I was the crazy New Yorker man who pulled into town, you know, with with a, with a uh, just a, a dream, you know, for a lack of a better term, a dollar and a dream. I hear and you. Uh, I didn't even get a I didn't even get a chance to kind of walk around or take the tour or anything like that. Uh, I just walked in at 10 a.m. in the morning. We start cutting, uh, you know, music probably within the first 30 to 45 minutes. Yeah, just go right through the door, look at the Grammys, and turn left or turn right. Either, either <laughs> Actually, I came in an access door. I didn't even see them. That was great. That, yeah, that, when they were that, doing the mix down that night, I finally got a chance to walk around in the hallways. And, and then it kind of set in a little bit. It's like, man, that's where Wilson Pickett stood. I mean, yeah. there's that's that picture of Little Richard, and he's right there. That's where I put my guitar amp. Yeah, or you like Otis I mean? Redding. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah, that stuff really sinks in. And it might have been a good thing, actually, you know, that you didn't see it all first because, uh, I don't know, you might have been like, wow. And, and like, yeah. you know, you, you go down through there, like, where the little coffee area is at, and you see all those pictures on the wall, and you're like. Right. You, you get to thinking, you know, and I'm not just talking about for the times, but, but back then, you know, all these people gathered. And you got to imagine that Muscle Shoals didn't look like what we've seen it as with all these buildings right. and stuff around. It was a little podunk town with like a, a water, you know, a water tower right behind it. Right. And, you know, like I said, everybody the world over, it's just they, they come there to, to capture what you did. And it's just it's magic. It's like to me, it's better than Disneyland. It's like. Tinkerbell went in there and put her dust and just took off. So I I agree. It, I I'm completely enamored with the area. Yeah. And uh, I've you know I've taken uh, I've taken extra steps you know to go down there again in a couple of weeks here and and really kind of celebrate the release based off of you know timing and travel and all the stuff that our country is going through at the moment. But uh, I can't wait to get back. And every time I, that's the thing I should say. Every time I go, I stay longer. Yeah. That, that's that's me. I live uh, about two hours away, and I try mm-hmm. to go at least once a month. Yeah, I go for <laughs> three days, and then it's five days, and it's seven days. Last time I was there for nine days. This time I'm like, I need at least two weeks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, every time I go, I, I get on Trulia and look up more houses because, um, like I said, I wasn't born there. I was born in Middle Tennessee, but I, I plan on dying in the area. It's just I just yeah. want to be gravitated towards it. Everything that's great with the kind of stuff i love to listen to comes from that little spot you know so it's just, yeah it's, same thing man we're cut yeah. from the same stone i think we are uh mm-hmm. one of my dearest friends uh moved to middle tennessee his dad works at general motors he's from binghamton if you've ever heard of that yeah binghamton's about uh i, don't know, I think it's about three or four hours from here i think closer to four yeah, the only thing he told me was like I think the guy that invented Twilight or not Twilight, yeah, the Twilight Zone's from there. I think that's what he told me. Is that right? <laughs> what a random fact. <clears throat> well, New York is just gigantic, man. I know people ask me all the time. They're like, "How often do you go to the city?" I'm like, "That's six hours away." Yeah, like, and the flights are cheaper than driving. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then I hear you know New York, like the the city itself. New York City is one thing, but like the rest of the state, it's like a totally different thing. It's like New York City is like its own sovereign state, and then <laughs> New yeah. York itself, there's a whole lot more, you know, to look at and to offer, like this countryside, and you know, just like everywhere else. So, yeah, I was in New York City in June uh, last year, and, and every time I go, I always forget how uh, 
how different they are, like I said, from where I live in New York, because I'm in western New York. And uh, there was a, a point when we were in Man- in Manhattan, and I'm like, I don't think I've seen grass for like four days. Like, just grass. <laughs> yeah. You know? so, that is so, so funny. <laughs> just a different, it's a different thing. You know, you just, your your brain kind of uh, doesn't, you know, you don't connect with it while you're, because you're, you're there. I was there, I was busy, I was doing all these these things that I was doing as far as music stuff goes. <clears throat> and then it was, you know, you don't get any downtime, you know. Yeah. But it was that morning downtime at the at the hotel where I'm like, I haven't seen grass in like three or four days. Like, wow, <laughs> completely, completely different, you know. <laughs> the concrete jungle, I think, is what they call it, right? That, it, it, but again, man, if you want the nightlife, that's where it is. Sure. Um, you know, here in Erie County, uh, you know, we've got a great music scene and all that stuff. But uh, um, you know, at uh, three o'clock in the morning, you're not going to find a, a, a band playing. You know. Uh, excellent, you know, jazz standards and stuff like that. It's just a completely different lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like how, how you know, Nashville is to me. We're we're a little ways off as well, but uh, that that's where all the happening stuff is, where everybody flocks. Uh, you know, night and day difference from a little country town of Columbia to yeah. going out there. Like, um, we have a record record store which is pretty cool. It's called uh, uh, Variety. Uh, I don't know if you want to check that out, but they definitely need your album in there. How would I go about telling them to get it put in there? Is there a way to do that? Uh, well, it's there's a distribution service that uh, that they probably can use. If they're stocking new vinyl, it's yeah. available through Alliance. Uh, you, they can get it that way. Otherwise, they can just arrange it with me. Uh, I, I'm I, Part of what I'm going to do over the next couple of months here is going to be kind of a hand-to-hand um, – we're calling it a promotional tour, which is kind of we're designing it kind of like an old-fashioned radio tour. Yeah. Uh, where it's like I, yeah, I can only sit put for so long. I mean, this is the longest I've not played in almost 20 years. Yeah. Uh, it's a little wow. little weird, you know. But I mean, I'm used to just engaging with people and talking with people. And um, while this has been great to reflect, and it's also been great to write. Uh, I've got a new record out that I want to, you know, get in front of people. I want them to listen to it. And if they're interested in carrying it at their stores, we're going to hit some music stores. We're going to hit some record shops. Uh, we're going to do some kind of touristy things, you know, and document everything for the Internet and, uh, you know, let people know that even though we can't get out and perform in the traditional sense that we're still trying to make waves, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, the guy that owns Variety is Scott Holt. He was Buddy Guy's guitar player for a long time. Oh, yeah, I know Scott Holt. Well, I mean, I don't know him personally. I know who he is. Well, um, you know, maybe later through email or whatever, maybe I can merge you guys, network, and and you could come out here and play. That would be so awesome. Man, I would love that. Because you two are definitely guitar virtuosos. And he's such a great guy. And the cool thing is, you know, being, like you said, quarantined, uh, he'll be in the record store. You're going to just go out and hang out with him. <laughs> like, you know, we yeah. get to talking music and stuff. He's just one of the greatest humans ever. And, uh, uh, I'll, uh, I'll get, uh, that ball bouncing if you want, maybe, uh, you can, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go that direction. Cause, uh, he's super, super cool. Got some great stories just like you do. I mean, you got to play with Stevie wonder. I mean, gosh. Yeah, that was, uh, that one, uh, that's a bittersweet story, but yes, I did. <laughs> okay. But he's still there. Okay. Anyway, let me let me talk about this for you. You have your own publishing company. That's like big time there. Just like Fame, you've got your own thing going there. That's got to keep you extremely busy. Well, it's all relatively new to me. Um, you know, I've got previous albums that that I released. You know, uh, basically sold from the stages. 
you know, for the last 20 years. And, and it was never for any reason that I didn't want it to be any better. Um, but this time around, I really wanted to, I don't know, I kind of want to put my thumbprint. I, I knew I knew I really was in love with the batch of material. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was really in love with the idea of, you know, building a bigger band. I traditionally played in trios. And it was so guitar heavy and so rhythm, rhythm heavy. But I just wanted to build something that was like I could sing differently because I didn't have to saw the guitar in half so, you know, people could feel the danceable rhythm. Yeah. Um, and, and I could rely on horns to do the stabs rather than always filling a hole with a guitar, a guitar fill. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was some of the charm that I, I, I was, I, I, you know, there's so many things I love to talk about with this recording session, but my favorite thing was that I, I had fun. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have to work for it. I, all I had to do was just get out of the way. Yeah. And let it, let it do its own thing naturally. And the, the one time I did catch myself uh, corralling something because I didn't like the way it was. Uh, ironically, it's one of everybody's favorite songs on the album. It was like, see now, if I'd have done it my way, you know, and said, no, 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 I want it this way. I would, this is the way I envisioned it. If I'd have done it that way, it, it might have kind of had the same result as, as any of my previous albums. So, and, you know, here I am with all these hit makers, and they're telling me, you know, I think it'd be really cool if we did this. And I was like, ah, and then I said, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, yeah. Who am I right now? And yeah. in, uh, in the, the subtle change that we made on the groove of that song made all the difference. Absolutely. That's awesome. That is awesome, man. That's incredible. The next guest on the podcast needs no introduction. He's a living, breathing legend. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Spooner Oldham. An American songwriter and session musician. He is an organist. He was one of the original members of the Muscle Shoals Rhythm Section of Fame Studios. Uh, he played on such hits as R&B songs, Percy Sledge's When a Man Loves a Woman, Wilson Pickett's Mustang Sally, and Aretha Franklin's I Never Loved a Man. Just really excited to talk with him about since her movie is coming out really soon. Uh, respect her biopic for Aretha Franklin. Uh, her journey from her uh, beginnings in music to Queen of Soul Acknowledge. We talked about that and more and some hits that he penned along the way like Cry Like a Baby and one of my favorite songs of all time, I'm Your Puppet. It was a thrill. And uh, that's coming up next on the Josh Belcher Uncharted Podcast. <laughs>